We have a, a moderator and two panelists to talk about um, a number of things. The success of the Center for Green Technology, first of all, and then uh, the Merchandise Smart and their efforts, their uh, legion efforts to take the, one of the largest buildings in the world and, and satisfy the requirements for, um, for LEED Silver. And to lead us off and to moderate the session is, uh, is Cherish Samuels, who is a project manager with Code Green Chicago. Code Green is a uh, firm specializing in particular in existing building LEED certification programs. Um, She's got a background in architectural engineering and energy efficiency. Uh, she's experienced in design, consulting, and commissioning of mechanical systems, along with analyzing and specializing, spe specifying uh, energy efficient applications in all commercial buildings. Uh, she is a LEED certified, uh, accredited professional, the LEED AP uh, standing, and all of Code Green's folks are LEED AP certified. Um, with no further ado, I'll turn it over to Cherish, and she'll introduce our speakers and take us along. Thank you for the introduction, Rick. Um, hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here today. As uh, Rick mentioned, I'm Chair Samuels from Code Green and here in our Chicago office. And I'll probably go through briefly just a few of the things that we do here in Chicago, what to expect from a sustainability consulting firm that specializes in the LEED rating system, and um, some of the things that are going on with LEED, with the industry, um, both nationally and globally. Oh, hope this works. <laughs> there we go. Okay, um, so about Code Green, we're, as I mentioned, a sustainability consulting firm. We have offices in New York. Uh, Chicago, San Francisco, and Boston, and um, we are high-performance high and sustainability consultants. We take a building through the lead process. We facilitate the entire process for our clients. Um, we perform the feasibility studies, so we um, will we'll facilitate the whole energy modeling if you're working with a new construction project, the energy star aspects of an existing building project. I mean, our experience level is, ranges from construction management, architecture. As Rick mentioned, my background is largely engineering for buildings, um, also law and energy management. So we're, we're a pretty diverse team. Our services, um, here's just a brief overview of what we do. Um, project management, uh, as I mentioned, Scott, my, Scott here is my coworker, um, Scott Myers, and he's also a project manager for Code Green. And we also specialize in portfolio-wide sustainability consulting. So one of our, um, a great example of that out of our New York office, we're working with SL Green. Um, they had us look at 24 of their buildings, over 20 million square feet of buildings. We were able to um, ascertain that about 14 of them could be lead buildings. So in looking at that, we helped them develop ways to make those buildings lead. The ones that they're going to go for will facilitate that process. The others, we helped them develop a sustainable master plan so that the rest of their buildings that maybe may not be lead candidates can also have sustainable features that they can advertise and market. And we've got CGI lab, or CG Labs where we look at energy modeling, carbon modeling, and also just innovative credits. When people have trouble getting some credits, we'll look at those. Um, as some of, later on today, a couple of our speakers have mentioned some of the innovative credits that they went for. We'll help find ways for you to achieve those. And we also have an educational training session where we'll work with clients to help them understand the LEED rating systems. Some may actually um, desire to become LEED accredited professionals, and we'll provide training to help them achieve that. 
um, sourcing for local, state, and federal funding. Um, there are a lot of incentive programs here in Chicago. We talk about the green permit program. Uh, some of the utilities, for example, ComEd is coming out with new commercial incentives. Uh, we'll help go through those and make sure that any that your project will qualify for, you're able to get. So LEED itself is a program, it's a rating system sponsored by the United States Green Building Council. Um, there are different rating systems. The major ones you hear about are new construction and existing buildings. Our two projects later, one is a new construction project, the other is an existing building. Um, new construction focuses on the entire process from design through construction phases, whereas EB takes a building that's already in operation and looks at ways to improve the operations and maintenance of those buildings. You've got corn shale for your buildings where you may not have tenants in place or it's not an owner-occupied facility, so you want to look at ways to improve the envelope and the core of the building, which ties into lead commercial interiors where tenants coming into those CS buildings or also in new construction or existing buildings may look at ways to make their interior, their corporate offices, uh, sustainable. We've got neighborhood development, lead homes, which is becoming increasingly popular here in Chicago, and other pilot programs. The um, schools, libraries, laboratories, healthcare, um, excuse me, not, labor not libraries, I meant laboratories. Those are all um, programs that LEED is coming out with, and they're looking at more and more every day. What are the benefits of going green? Um, financial benefits, there are environmental benef benefits, and I also go over some of the kind of invisible benefits. Um, financial benefits, you've got the bottom line savings, your energy savings due to your savings from, from water, your operational um, upgrades that you make, and you've also got the incentives that I mentioned earlier that may help fund your projects. Um, you've got the environmental soft costs, those that you may not see as easily. Um, increased property values. A lot of times you'll hear tenants demanding lead buildings or requesting to be placed in lead buildings. And, and a lot of times they um, are willing to pay a little bit more for that, to be able to market that. Or sometimes it's just an internal thing, to be able to feel good about the type of building that they're in. Um, you've got some that are not listed. I call them the fuzzy factors. Um, they're kind of the feel-good things, just personally, from the design team, the construction teams. Um, people who are occupying the buildings. There's the recognition that comes with it. Um, we talked earlier, Tom mentioned, who you'll meet later, mentioned about a lot of the recognition that he received as a result of working on one of the projects that we're going to discuss later on in the, um, in the seminar. So there's also the business motivators. Um, you hear a lot about the future generations. How are we going to recruit new people into our workforces? Well, a lot of our um, youth now are very socially aware and very environmentally responsible. And they're looking for companies that are going to provide this type of environment for them. So in terms of recruiting from the colleges and also from our young professionals, it becomes an advantage to have that environmental background as a marketing tool. Green strategies. Um, one of the strategies, as an engineer, I always kind of push the energy strategies. So I've got a few pictures on here, just some examples of alternative energies. You've got solar, hydro, wind, greenie program. You may have heard of the rec credit purchasing programs. Um, at the bottom, I have a note that talks about buildings accounting for 39% of our nation's energy consumption. So that's a huge thing. On the next slide, I go into a little bit more detail. Um, both United States and globally. In the U.S., buildings are accounting for 12% of our water use, 39% of our CO2 emissions, 71% of our electricity use, 
and 39% of our energy use. So buildings are very significant, significant when we look at our climate and how it's being affected. You look at the global community, buildings are taking 17% of our fresh water withdrawal. 33% of our CO2 emissions are coming from buildings. And that includes not just the buildings that are here, but also construction of those buildings and the operation of those buildings. 25% of our harvested wood is being used in buildings, and 40% of our energy use overall, globally, is coming from buildings. So when we look at that, it's not just important for, uh, we, a lot of times we'll look at the inside of the building because that's where we spend most of our time. 90% of our time on average is spent indoors. So we think about our indoor environments, the health happiness, but LEAD is trying to push that outdoors also. Look not just at how your operation is affecting the inside of your building and your occupants, but also how it's affecting your environment. Uh, Chicago, we talk about um, Chicago being one of the greenest cities or pushing to be the greenest city at some point. Mayor Daley has big initiatives to own that title at some point. And earlier today I had a, a, a brief conversation about that and why I feel like Chicago really is on its way to that level. When you look at cities like Cal or states like California, a lot of the cities out there are green because it's mandated. There are no options now. They're pushed to do that. But when you look at Chicago, we're doing it because we want to do it. There are no mandates unless you're a government building saying that you have to use LEED. So a lot of these projects that are becoming sustainable are doing it because that's what they want to do. That's what the owners want. That's what the tenants want. And that's what the design teams are able to push and give. So it's really important now to understand not just LEED, but there are other rating systems out there, Green Globes, that give a certain level of competitiveness and a certain level of recognition saying that you're not just sustainable, but you actually can prove it because you have these guidelines, you have these lists, and they're saying exactly how you were able to manage that. So um, LEED is really hoping to reduce these effects on the environment as a result of our buildings and how they're operated. Today we've got two presenters who are going to show you how their projects are able to do just that, how they went through design, construction, and are now operating to benefit the environment. Um, they're vastly different role models. One is an extremely large project. One is a much smaller project. Um, one project was LEED New Construction. The other was LEED EB. But they're both examples of how it can be done and how it is being done. So these two projects, the Merchandise Mart and the Center for Green Technology, the Resource Center, are both reaping these benefits economically and socially with the huge recognition that they're getting from being LEED certified. So today I welcome, on behalf of the Chicago chapter of Cornet, uh, Myron Maurer and Tom Capusta. So my first introduction is Myron Maurer. He's the Senior Vice President and General Manager for Merchandise Mart Properties, Inc. Uh, Myron is responsible for managing operations and construction projects for 8.5 million square feet of office space and 11 buildings located in Chicago, Los Angeles, High Point, North Carolina, and Washington, D.C., and New York. He manages a staff of 250 employees, supplemented through the year by 150 to 200 temporary employees. Mora began his career at the Merchandise Mart in 1987, 
His previous experience with the company includes management of $100 million, renovate, $100 million renovation program. This project included construction of a retail shopping center in the Mart called Shops at the Mart. Other development and construction projects include the second floor pedestrian crossway between the Merchandise Mart and the adjacent, adjacent 350 West Mart Center Drive building, third floor redevelopment, and numerous HVAC and electrical projects. Maurer received his real property administrator designation from the Building Owners and Managers Institute in 1995 and continues his association with BOMA in Chicago. So we welcome Myra Maurer now to discuss the Merchandise Mart project. <clears throat> Thank you, Sharice. Um, good afternoon, and please feel free to continue eating. Uh, that won't bother me at all. Um, so um, I want to thank um, Cornette for giving me the opportunity to speak uh, this afternoon. Um, and I'm going to talk about the MART sustainability and its LEED certification process. But I'm going to give a little bit of a history in, about the building and some details about the different types of industries that occur there. Um, it's an extremely large building and one that has, it was fairly complicated. And I think it's, it's helpful to understand the story of it. Uh, the Merchandise Mart was conceived in the middle of the 1920s and construction began in 1928. The Mart was developed by Marshall Field and Company to fill that organization's dream of having a single national wholesale center under one roof. It was their vision to create a central marketplace where stocking retailers could come to buy their wares for department stores and other retailers. The Mart was built to house all the products that a specific target audience, the department store buyer, would want to see. While Field's idea was a good one, the building nevertheless struggled. Although construction began in the midst of the Roaring Twenties, the building did not open until 1931 at the start of the Great Depression and struggled in filling its four million square feet. In 1946, Joseph P. Kennedy bought the Merchandise Mart after returning from being ambassador to England. The building thrived during the economic expansion following the Second World War. The new management team, led by General Manager Wally Ullman and Sergeant Shriver, quickly moved to convert the large spaces from government uses that occurred during the war to more attractive showroom tenants. The new team expanded the level of marketing and promotional support focused, and focused their efforts on producing two major conventions in January and June, creating events that would bring to the mart all of the retailers from all over the country all at one time. These conventions were among the first trade shows produced in Chicago. In the 1940s and 50s, the Merchandise Mart was the single largest producer of trade shows in the United States, and it helped to lay the foundation for Chicago's continued leadership in America's convention and tourism industry. As the facility has evolved, so has our company. In Chicago, we saw an opportunity to expand our operations and to become a truly national force in the Mart Design Center and trade show business. In 1998, we merged the Mart properties with Fornado Realty Trust, which today is the second largest REIT in the United States and based in New York. Through our partnership and expansion opportunities provided by Vornado's large capital structure, we have grown to 15 properties comprising almost 9 million square feet, and we have offices located in eight different cities. We are specialists in managing market buildings occupied by wholesale showrooms and trade show facilities. We're probably the only fully integrated uh, organization in America that both manages trade show facilities and produces events. At the, as the largest commercial building in the world, the Merchandise Mart boasts some staggering statistics. When constructed, 29 million bricks were required, 60,000 tons of steel were used, 4,000 windows were installed. The building contains 380 miles of wiring, has 40 miles of plumbing, 
five miles of public space corridors, and we produce 35 major trade and consumer events every year in the building, which attract anywhere from five to 65,000 visitors. Uh, two weeks ago, we uh, um, had over 50,000 people attend the Mart over a five-day period for our Tropolis Art Fair event, which some of you may have attended. The building contains over 4 million square feet of space, has over 3 million visitors per year, and the building consumes over two full city blocks. The complexity and diversity of activities that go on in the, in the building and the range of tenants who conduct business here is important to understand as we discuss our sustainable programs. The Mart has seven different industries and is truly a multi-use building. It has traditional commercial office space where we specialize in both large tenants with 50 to 100,000 square foot of space needs and startup companies that are looking for a unique space in a great neighborhood with great transportation and great amenities. I've got my sales hat on right now, so. <laughs> we have over 75,000 square feet of just service retail that provides retail services for the building, including 12 restaurants, a full-service bank, and post office. But our showroom industries are the ones that dominate the building and occupy two-thirds of the space. Our luxe home industry, kitchen and bath, has 26 luxury boutiques which represent major kitchen cabinet and plumbing manufacturers, including companies like Stadero, Waterworks, and Kohler. This is the only showroom-based industry directly marketed to consumers, and we are also have strong traffic from designers, architects, and home builders. In our design center business, our major tenants are manufacturers and distributors of home high-end residential furnishings. In the contract commercial office furniture industry, we are home to showrooms for major manufacturers like Steelcase, Herman Miller, and Hayworth. During our major trade show called Neocon, we attract over 65,000 architects, designers, and facilities managers. In the gift and decorative accessory industry, we are home to major manufacturers and importers like Aldic Artificial Flowers, Vera Bradley, and Colonial Candle. And we have major markets in January and July where we attract to the building major retailers like Crate and Barrel, Hallmark, Party Plus, and thousands of other small retailers from all over our trading region, which encompasses most of the Midwest. In the casual furniture industry, our tenants include major manufacturers as Brown Jordan, Agio, and Tropitone. Each year we run the International Casual Furniture and Accessories Market in September where all of the casual furniture retailers in America and around the world come to shop for next year's stock. In each of our showroom industries, we run trade shows, conventions, educational programs, and special events to try to bring to the buildings the types of clients our tenants want to meet and do business with. Our responsibilities as a property owner and manager are much more than a traditional landlord. Through our marketing and promotional efforts, we help draw buyers, clients, and customers to our tenants. The hands-on management style that is necessary for this type of operation connects us naturally to our commitment to green, sustainable building operations. More than a decade ago, architects and designers within the commercial furnishings industry recognized the importance of green design for the products that were being created and manufactured and for the industry to become more environmentally friendly. These individuals were truly the early founders of green design. And during that same period, the Merchandise and Art Mart began working with these architects and designers to respond to industry concerns regarding sustainability. By pioneering some of the first green design programs and educational seminars and presentations at our Trade World Trades Fair Neocon event. Since the year 2000, we have produced over 100 seminar speakers and conferences on the subject of sustainability and environmental design. Our organization researched and learned many of the issues involved with sustainability so that it could truly become one of the pioneers in the industry. Consequently, practices within the building were impl implemented and changed. A little history about the, some of our programs. 
As far back as in 1986, we built the largest thermal storage facility in the world at that time. This facility is capable of creating 2 million pounds of ice per night, and its efficient operations reduced um, electricity costs by $200,000 over 20 years ago. In 1990, we began the use of green cleaning products throughout the facility. In 1991, we began an aggressive recycling program, which today includes all forms of paper products, glass, and aluminum. The building recycles about 70% of its waste stream, which includes 11 million pounds of waste, three, five and a half million gallons, which save the equivalent of five and a half, five and a half million gallons of water and the equivalent of 13,000 trees. Almost 15 years ago, we created a bicycle storage facility so that tenants could bike to work without worrying about their bicycle being locked up on a sidewalk bike rack. We offer this program for free to, tenant, to tenants' uh, employees. In 1996, the MART became one of the first major property owners in downtown Chicago to enter into an agreement with the new district cooling system now known as Thermal Chicago, thus contributing to the national efforts to reduce discharge of ozone-damaging CFCs. More recently, through strategies recommended by the Clean Air Accounts campaign, the MART reduced VOC pollution by 264,000 pounds, the largest reduction by a commercial office building to date, and 60% of the Clean Air Accounts annual goals. This was accomplished in part by switching from high VOC to low VOC cleaning and painting pro uh, products. Today, the Merchandise Mart has taken these efforts to the next level. We were awarded LEED EB Silver Certification by the USGBC in November 2007. We're the largest building in the world with that classification. Um, and we believe that a building as large and as complex as the Mart can become green, that most any other building can achieve the same goal. Little discussion about the project timeline of our LEED certification. We first uh, became interested in while well, Hayworth was going through a showroom remodeling where they were becoming LEED CI. And so we started investigating uh, the process in August of 2005, and we um, um, registered in 2006 for the process and then went through the program and, like I said, in, and finished in November of 2007. Um, the process included, you know, tenant engagement. We interviews, communication, ongoing support with LEEDS AI tenants. Uh, we developed a green operations guide. Uh, we felt like we had leadership and training responsibilities for our tenants. And, um, and it, to us, it's a continuous improvement program. Um, regarding some aspects of our LEED certification, um, one of the primary focus of LEED certification is conservation of energy. The Merchandise Mart's utility breakdown is roughly 50% electricity, 22% chilled water, and 27% natural gas. We are a reseller of electricity due to the age, uh, so all the tenants are buying the electricity from the building. Over half of the electricity used at the site is for tenant lighting and power. Our initial efforts were focused on common areas and areas that MMPI specifically manages. In the fall of 2006, the operations group at the Mart formed an energy committee. This committee met twice a month, and this group participated in energy forums and shared ideas on ways to conserve energy, and with the focus on tackling straightforward projects with resources at hand. This slide lists some of the projects completed during the initial lead performance period. Programs were undertaken started with lights that were traditionally on 24-7, like exit signs. We installed motion sensors for restrooms and private offices, and we focused on air loss in our compressed, compressed uh, air system, which reduced electricity required for that activity alone by 40%. Other projects with minimal or no cost included evaluation of lighting and HVAC schedules. We were aggressive in the installation of meters. You cannot reduce energy consumption unless you have a means of understanding how you use it. You also can, we also continued to improve HVAC controls. 
And because of the large consumption of electricity used for lighting and product display, we are focused on lighting retrofits and change-outs. We, um, we are um, encouraged by the advancement of LED lighting and feel like that is where the future lies in terms of energy reduction. Beyond energy conservation, we initiated and implemented new construction standards. In the MART every year, there's about 700,000 square feet of tenant space that is, occurs, that is remodeled primarily by tenants themselves to better show their product. So our construction standards were modified to ensure that all that construction was done in a, um, in a sustainable fashion. Some of the standards, we, um, we implemented um, material selection criteria to encourage low, no low VOC products as well as utilizing sustainable materials when possible. Construction procedures criteria were updated to enforce the new IAQ uh, standards, including filtering returns and dust-type barricades. To better enforce compliance with these standards, MMPI assigns a project manager to enforce lead efforts during construction. This individual performs random inspections on multiple projects monthly with an independent consultant. We provide documentation, IAQ compliance, and material selections are all reviewed. In addition, MMPI create, created a lead checklist that must be submitted with all pay applications for the contractors. It allows our, outlines our lead requirements and lists the appropriate documentation to maintain our certification. In other words, the contractors have to verify their lead compliance in order to get paid. That's the best way to manage that. <laughs> Construction services and operations staff went through a training seminar conducted by uh, our lead consultant, the Delta Institute, and MMPI lead management staff. The focus of the meeting was to introduce our new construction standards and review the general requirements. Concurrently, we required our contractors and architects and engineers to attend the same training. The new pay application checklist was reviewed as well as general lead requirements. In effort to reach out and educate our tenants, among many other initiatives, our operations staff constructed a sample board showing the LED and compact fluorescent light bulbs that are offered by MART to help conserve energy. To better promote sustainable construction practices to the design community as well as to the general public, the living room and our current dream rooms was designed with the green in mind. This photo shows the kitchen last fall's dream home for both rooms. Both rooms have existing finishes which were reused and replaced with sustainable materials. This uh, dream rooms is a model home that's open to the public on the first floor, and we would encourage you to see it. We have a great tenant base with regards to lead efforts here at the Mart. Um, we currently have three LEED-certified tenants, Hayworth, IDA, and Millican. Other tenants who are actively pursuing LEED certification include Allsteel, Gunlock, Mohawk, OFS, Steelcase, Invista, Jofco, KI, and Knoll. Merchandise Mart tenants pursuing LEED certification will obtain three prerequisites and seven points toward their certification just by being a tenant in the building. As part of our LEED certification, we surveyed over 70% of our tenants and we found out some interesting things about our tenant base. First and foremost, everyone we spoke to was thrilled that the MART was in the process of becoming certified and was proud to be associated with this effort. We found that 73% of the building that came to the building takes some form of public transportation. 6% ride their bike, 3% walk to work, and 1% carpool. So that's 83% of everyone who works at the building started the day off with some sort of sustainable green activity. We had no idea that it was that high a percentage. Uh, the MART encourages bike riding by installing the bike racks I spoke about earlier. We offer these bike racks for free. And during our special events like our Tropolis, if you ride your bike to the MART, you get free admission to any event at the MART. We add an iGo car program, uh, which we worked hard to ensure that energy-efficient 
cars available to our tenants and guests. Uh, this, the, iCar, the iGo car at the Mart is uh, the most heavily used in that entire system. Um, we also became aware of uh, some other green practices, a large amount of, uh, that our tenants were implementing, uh, the use of recycled paper, eliminated, uh, eliminating or, um, the process of water bottle usage. Um, many are using energy-efficient light bulbs. Uh, many are using energy-efficient dishwashers, uh, plastics and styrofoam, uh, retrofitting lights with LED bulbs, and uh, installing lighting sensors on meetings and storage rooms so those lights won't stay on. Removing objects away from windows and letting natural light enter their offices, uh, using green products, using dishes, mugs, and glassware instead of disposable items. Part of our initiatives was to focus on education for our employees, tenants, and visitors to the building. The first initiative in the green sp is the green spot. It's located on the first floor, and in uh, one wall features a large timeline outlining all the green activities that have occurred in the country since, 19 since 1837. This includes uh, events, accomplishments occurring worldwide, plus the city of Chicago, with our tenants and the building itself. There is also an area devoted to the tenants' products that are green, eco-friendly, and sustainable. We are fortunate that we have a building that houses such an incredible industry front runners, whether it's fabric, carpet, furniture, or building products. Our second initiative is the Green Guide. This guide is produced in June and distributed our Neocon World's Trade Fair. During the show, we educate 50,000 attendees including interior designers, architects, corporations, and real estate executives, facilities executives, the media, and students on the importance of green design. We have found a large percentage of our tenants form green committees, tenants like uh, J. Walter Thompson, CCC, and Noel, just to name a few. These tenants feel that the green movement is important and goes along with the way to, to do employee retention, which is something Sharice mentioned, and we agree with that wholeheartedly, that the, today's younger um, employees definitely uh, have that initiative in heart. But we haven't stopped there. Since our certification, the MART began battery recycling, where our tenants can bring their dead batteries from their space as well as home, and we can re safely recycle them. We have begun e-waste recycling of computer products. Our team ensure that any computers, monitors, and small electronics are not thrown in the landfills but are loaded or hauled away with no harm to the environment. We have worked with vendors that produce eco-friendly inks and materials for, the, for all of our printing uh, banners and other products. Lastly, we offer recycling bins, environment-friendly light bulbs at cost and below cost to encourage our tenants to stay on the green path. Our ongoing sustainability plan beyond LEED certification um, is still ongoing. We believe our LEED certification gives us recognition of, an or of our organizations and our buildings' commitment to sustainable programs and initiatives, but the process is an ongoing one, and that does not stop with our certification. Um, we, some of the other things we're doing, we're continuing to promote alternative forms of transportation and commuting for employees who work in the building, energy conservation. Our ultimate goal is to reduce overall energy usage, including tenant consumption, by 20% by 2010. Uh, we are partnering with the Clinton Foundation and the City of Chicago in these efforts. Uh, we are, want to continue to grow our recycling of our waste stream uh, and, and have a targeted goal of 75% in two years. Uh, we want to continue to promote and grow the use of green products, including cleaning materials, paint, incorporating sustainable materials in our construction projects. We want to continue to promote and assist our tenants in becoming LEED certified. And we want to continue to be a leader in innovation in the practical use of LED lighting, alternative power sources, and sustainable methods of operation. So I kind of just want to summarize the key points of the sustainable programs, that some of the things we learned. Uh, one is engage and motivate your staff. Uh, the project can be a tremendous rallying point and team-building experience for your entire staff. 
engage your tenants. Uh, I think the one thing we would do differently in our certification process is start with the tenant survey. We did it probably about two-thirds through the process and, and learned so much about the tenants and what they were doing. And that would be something if you're at a building or looking at doing certified, I would survey your tenants first. Um, leave no stone unturned. You want to evaluate every project and idea. It's, it, even the smallest ones, which seem like they have no benefit at all, can end up having significant importance. And throughout the process, you just need to be creative. Uh, it's a, it's a, a long process. It's a, one that's arduous in terms of the paperwork that you have to fill out and, um, in, in, and a lot of um, difficult accomplishments can be created by just being creative in, the, in dealing with them. So thank you. Uh, just to let you know, we'll have question and answer at the end of both presentations. So thank you, Myron, for your presentation. Up next, we have Tom Capusta. Tom is a licensed architect working in the fields of architecture and interior design for more than 30 years with extensive experience in the area of corporate and retail interior design, adaptive reuse of existing buildings, and historic renovations. He has been a business owner for more than 20 years. TKA and Partners, which is Tom's company, is a member of the U.S. Green Building Council and is currently designing sustainable projects for the city of Chicago and the Brookfield Zoo, to name a few. In his current role as president of TKAN Partners, Mr. Capusta has developed a building design management and communication system focused on the effective management of cost, quality, schedule, and sustainability, which has led to large project assignments for organizations such as AT&T, the Brookfield Zoo, Oak Park, River Forest High School, and Singular. Um, Mr. Capusta is a member of the United States Green Building Council. He's a licensed architect in 11 states. He's um, former president of the Northern Illinois Chapter of the International Facility Managers Association. He's also a member of the American Institute of Architects. So Mr. Capusta is going to present to us the Center for Green Technology, another lead building here in Chicago. And um, it was a, a renovation of a 1952 building that achieved LEED new construction certification. So. Great. Thank you. Most of my uh, work today is shown in slides, so I think I'm going to try and uh, handle all the mechanics and, and uh, talk about this project at the same time. Um, first of all, thank you, Myron. Um, I, I've got to say that as an architect who usually works with tenants, it would be a pleasure to work in your building <laughs> because, um, you know, everybody wants to do lead. Everybody wants to do the right thing. Tenants have a much smaller stake in the building than, than the building owner does. And more and more of our clients are looking for lead buildings that already exist. And um, to have a program like yours and to have it be that well communicated uh, makes the process easier for tenants. Um, this is the Chicago Center for Green Technology uh, Resource Center that, that we were the architects and designers for. And I think one of the things that's, you know, to give you a little bit of history of why this turns out to be an important project, is that the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Daley, 
as we know, is, is bound and, and, and bound to be the leader in our, in our country in terms of municipal green work. And the uh, U.S. Green Building Council had their annual show here in Chicago last year. It's called Green Build. Uh, have, has anybody from the room been, been to Green Build? Or, or, so a lot of people have been. You're familiar with it. It's going to be here again in 2010. And what was interesting about this is that the U.S. Green Building Council every year leaves behind a project that they feel symbolizes what the mission of the U.S. Green Building Council is. And that's what this project was, the, the legacy project for 2007. So cutting the ribbon for us here are two very important people. There's Rick Fedrizi, who is the CEO and founder of the U.S. Green Building Council, who was essentially our client, along with Mayor Daly, who was our client um, and owner of the facility through the uh, Chicago Department of uh, the Environment. So on the left is George Tachowski. He's the builder from Leopardo. Leopardo did an incredible project, uh, made the construction of this project simple in a very short amount of time, and I was happy to uh, hold the ribbon for the mayor. <laughs> this is uh, the existing building, which was actually already LEED Platinum certified five years earlier. So when the building was renovated as a, a leader in, a, in the sustainability community, it reached platinum certification, and I believe it was 2002. So it, uh, it, live, it serves as a living museum. Our, our, our goal and our mission on this project was to design a living museum of a LEED Platinum CI project. So this was the U.S. Green Building Council's first CI legacy project for a relatively new program. It was to function as a training facility and resource center for the public, dedicated to educating the public about sustainable design. Um, we were hired by this project through a public bidding process. The city issued an RFP, and um, we were happy to be selected as the designer for the project, a little disappointed that we weren't also going to be doing the engineering and the lead um, paperwork, the lead certification, because they spread the work out amongst um, nine or ten different consultants. So we had exhibitry consultants, commissioning agents, the construction company, AV and acoustics, signage and interpretation, lighting, engineering, architecture, and the government itself all coming together for this project. And the first day on the project, we were told that this whole thing had to be opened and ready for the public within 16 weeks. And we were starting with a clean slate. Nothing had been determined. There was no real mission yet, except that it needed to be platinum, lead CI. So the first thing we decided was that the charrette process was the best way to make decisions quickly. And uh, Suzanne Malik McKenna, who is the commissioner of the Department of um, City of Chicago Department of uh, the Environment, said, this is going to be a difficult project. How, how can we get all of this done in 16 weeks and have it also be platinum? So the charrettes were the, were the technique. We got um, city uh, decision makers to join us for three weekly meetings. We had all the engineers, the commissioning agents, the designers, everybody who had anything to do with the project attended these three, three sessions and within three weeks, we basically had a concept, a strategy, 
and the benefit of all of these experts coming together at one time with the best new ideas for the project. Um, two important parties in all of this, too, are the U.S. Green Building Council. Uh, Doug Widener is the uh, director of the U.S. Green Building Council here in Chicago. They are a tenant in the project, and, uh, and the Resource Center, um, Department of the Environment, is the other tenant in the project. I'm going to talk a little bit about how the process went to kind of give you an idea of how it is working with an existing building from a tenant's perspective. And one of the things we had working for us here is that Chicago has a green permitting process. So if you know that you're going to be going after a LEED certification, you contact the city's green permit process early on, and they actually help coach you through the process. Similar to the way Myron's building will coach you through it in the Merchandise Mart, the city does this for us. So um, the first step was to actually have an orientation meeting with the city department and walk them through our strategy and what our approach was going to be. They, with their team of lead accredited professionals, tell you what things they think are going to make it, what things may not make it. And we were happy to have the dream project, so it wasn't too much debate about whether or not we were going to make it. Everybody knew that we had to reach lead platinum. So there's a couple slides here that I'm going to go through very quickly um, because there's way too much text. But this is what the um, narrative looks like when you submit it to the city of Chicago's department. What we were showing here in the uh, little spreadsheet in white is that we were sure that we were going to get at 43 points on the lead rating system. We knew that we had 13 more available points that we were still studying. And there was only one point out of 57 possible that we knew we would be not uh, pursuing. So uh, when platinum requires 42 points, we were going after 56. And when the project was finished, we actually ended up with 55 points out of a possible 57. Um, which is very difficult to do. It, it, you have to have a client that is absolutely dedicated to this cause, <clears throat> and having a building that was already lead platinum helped us also. So some of the, some of the critical points of a uh, sustainable site are shown on this page. The building um, was obviously near close, uh, close to public transportation, they per currently had um, bicycle parking in the building and shower facilities for people who rode their bikes to the building, and it was already um, uh, platinum rated. That's what the building looks like today, and um, the resource center was up on the second floor on the other side in space that had been previously um, just left as generic office space. This slide moves into the energy and atmosphere topic. And um, what I want to focus on in the next slide or two is lighting and HVAC. Um, down in this area, it talks about the lighting power. And our goal was to use lighting power that was 35% below the ASHRAE standards, which is, is pretty remarkable considering a multi-purpose space that wanted to have three to five different lighting scenes within it. Usually when you're creating multiple scenes in lighting, you use more energy because of redundancy. Here we ended up 35% less than that. 
we work with a lighting consultant uh, who does national work, and she's really leading uh, the field in terms of LED development. And we'll show you how some of that worked out. There's a sophisticated lighting control system installed so that lighting dims down as, as natural lighting is available in the space. And um, in terms of the HVAC system, we, ap- we um, exceeded the ASHRAE standards by about 20% when, when all was said and done. So here's an example of what the lighting control board, you know, the, the guts of the lighting control panels, and it's all computerized and, and monitors the lighting. You can see on the top photo on the right that we have a lot of natural light in the space. So um, the lighting that you see here is almost all LED. There's some compact fluorescence and some general fluorescent lighting. But uh, she worked with the manufacturers to develop LED can lighting that's never been installed before in a commercial installation like this. You'll see that the can lights are spaced every four feet on center, which sounds excessive, but an LED light fixture is using so little energy that you need to space them that often to get overall lighting for, for office use. The, uh, the room you're looking at there in the upper right-hand uh, side, it, when it's using its maximum capacity of lighting, is only using uh, the equivalent of a 250-watt light bulb to light the whole space. And it's about... Uh, It's about uh, a 3,000-square-foot space. The next slide or two uh, talks about uh, materials and resources. Um, One of the things we did is we worked hard to reuse the interior non-structural components of the building. So you could see here some, some of the things that take place on a construction site when you're renovating an existing building. The slide on the bottom is uh, the raw space as we took it. Um, I had a, a debate with our lighting designer because you saw what the end result was for the lighting, but the space already had five-year-old LEED-certified lead lighting system. And I argued that it's, it's not right to be taking out a lighting system, that it's already doing a good job. Well. It was important to know that we were supposed to be creating a living museum for LEED CI. Today's standards are so much more advanced than they were five years ago that it, it had to be upgraded to the LED lighting system. And I finally slept better knowing that we donated these light fixtures to another user. They put them in the day after we took them out, and everything got reused. Um, the top slides show what it's like during construction, and... Um, these piles of materials that are all plastic-wrapped were um, things like carpet tiles that we're planning on reusing, uh, ceiling tiles that were going to be reused. And um, as part of the indoor air quality management during construction, you want to protect these materials so everything's not collecting dust and just filling the air again when you, when you, when you put them back in place. On the upper left... If you look at that soffit up ahead, um, we were opening up that soffit because we were replacing the ductwork in there with a more energy-efficient ducted uh, HVAC system. So rather than demolish the, the soffit, run a ductwork, and build a new soffit around it the way most people would do it, they cut a slot, pulled out the drywall, stored it, fed the ductwork through, and then put the same drywall back up again and mudded it back in, and we were finished. So it's just a little example of one extra step to save materials and reuse existing construction. 
again, these, 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 these pages with all the text are basically pages from the application that we made uh, to the city of Chicago. Construction waste management was important. That's uh, MR 2.2. And um, let's see what this statistic was. Leopardo achieved to divert 98.6% of our waste out, out of the landfill. So the little bit that wasn't re, uh, reused or uh, donated to someone during construction uh, um, was basically recycled. Materials and resources. Um, we were basically working with all of the all of the points we could for using recycled materials, materials that are manufactured regionally, renewable materials such as bamboo flooring, cork flooring, linoleum flooring, wheat board, and all of the wood that we used on the project was Forest Stewardship Council certified uh, wood products. So you, you could see that the wood is actually stamped FSC, and uh, on the left is an example of uh, wheat board cabinetry that was specified and built for the project. Um, environmental quality was a big part of this project also, and it, it's something that uh, when, you're, when you're doing interior design and building out corporate office space, these are the things that you really have to be going after. These are, these are so important to uh, a worker's health and well-being and just generally how good you feel when you're in a workspace all day. Um, indoor air quality management during construction, before occupancy and, and after occupancy was all managed. They used uh, adhesives and sealants that had zero VOCs, paints and coatings, carpet systems, composite wood and laminate adhesives. What you see in, this, in these photographs, um, on the left was the air filtration system. It's a HEPA filtration system that was used throughout the construction period to keep the air quality on the construction site clean. Um, the workers were never wearing face masks, never needed to. It was, it was a clean construction site. Everything that was going to be reused was bagged and kept clean for, for future use. And the slide at the bottom shows the testing that was being done by the commissioning agent just before we opened for the public. So we, um, because of the shortage of time, rather than burn in the mechanical systems and, and make sure that the air is clean that way, we basically kept the, clean, the, the air clean during the project and tested it before opening to the public to make sure it was meet, meeting the standards that were required for LEED CI Platinum. Um, daylighting is another important piece, I believe, as, as interior designers do it, designing corporate office space. Um, and, and architects who design base buildings now should be thinking about natural daylighting. It's, it's much more pleasant for people in a work, workspace environment. Um, it, it, uh, it doesn't add to eye fatigue. And if you have a lighting system that's balanced with the natural lighting use in the space your eyes aren't constantly adjusting to darks and lights. You've got a pleasant, even foot candle rating that uh, exists in the space throughout the day. So in the end, our, um, our, our submittal did show that we were achieving 56 points, 
and uh, after construction, this, this was how it was submitted before construction, and then after construction it got resubmitted uh, with 55 points. The um, owner had big responsibility for, for providing a great space. Um, that aerial view of the project, uh, the dark parts of the project show the uh, photovoltaic cells on the, uh, the roof of the building. There's a section of green roofing um, on, the, on the building for exhibit space. They have a major recycling program, alternative transportation, and some of the innovation points that this building receives has to do with their education. Because it's a building open to the public and educating and teaching us how to do this, um, you get innovation points for that and uh, an aggressive green housekeeping program also. Um, again, the, the contractor initiatives were, were major. You could see what the construction site looked like on the lower left. That was probably at the peak of, of activity when we had the most trades in the project at the same time. The uh, HVAC system was uh, changed in the building. Once again, we had a five-year-old system that we justified changing because the, the systems are so much better today than they were just five years ago. I think the, you know, the manufacturing and, and our whole building industry has really responded to sustainable design. And you can actually go out and get competitive bidding now for things that you couldn't do competitive bidding on five years ago. It was hard to get good pricing five years ago because there was only one manufacturer who made something that was green, and now it's not the case anymore. Again, the lighting uh, initiatives um, f used for exhibitry, for general overall lighting, for training in the training room. Um, we, the, the lighting designers achieved uh, th three major different uh, scenes for, for the lighting use. This slide uh, kind of walks you through some of the uh, materials that were used on the project. Um, up towards the, the top of the drawing is the, uh, the training room. It seats 40 people at tables. And then we designed cabinetry along the perimeter of the space to be uh, bench seating, too. So the room seats about 60 people at full capacity. And then the resource library at, at the lower part um, is completely furnished with... Uh, Furniture and case goods that are all Green Guard certified. Um, everything on this project was either recycled or rapidly renewable materials. And another relatively easy point to get in Chicago is using materials that are regionally manufactured. We have an incredible industry here in Chicago, and everything is within 500 miles. So that's an easy point to get in your, uh, in your lead work. You just have to stay away from imported tiles from Italy that you don't get many points for shipping things across the ocean. But um, reused ceiling systems, uh, reused some of the carpeting, reused um, uh, grids, and uh, even the light ledges. We, we were, because we were taking out uh, an abandoned duct system that ran across the perimeter of the space, we were able to remove the um, wheat board tops and reuse them for our bench seating throughout the space. Because this was uh, an exhibit building, we wanted to show visitors how different sustainable flooring systems work. So we developed this kind of sunburst 
pattern for flooring, a little bit of an inspirational uh, pattern, I guess. But the goal really was to exhibit all of these different flooring types. Uh, starting at the upper left-hand side, um, there's a company called Horrigan Urban Forest Products. They have a contract with the city to pick up all the fallen branches after storms, or they pick up trees that are uh, cleared for overhead wiring, clearage, clearage, and that sort of thing. So they basically take wood that's fallen in the Chicago region and they make new products out of it. We used a section of their wood flooring. The second section was uh, natural bamboo, which is rapidly renewable, a low VOC product. Uh, a section of cork, recycled rubber, uh, Forbo's uh, marmoleum, which is a linoleum product. Um, porcelain stone, Crossville um, collects used plumbing fixtures. They take all the porcelain and, and grind it up and make porcelain tiles out of it um, for flooring or wall, wall tiles. We have a section of uh, recycled carpeting for exhibit. And in the front entry hall, the, the kind of the heart of the sun there is uh, recycled glass terrazzo tiles. And uh, it's kind of fun to look at. Uh, it's like normal terrazzo that has marble chips in it, but it's actually got ground-up glass. So you could see brown, green, and clear glass, and actually a little bit of mirrored glass in the, uh, in the tiles. There's, there's a little, little flecks of uh, sunlight bouncing off the mirrored glass that's in the recycled glass tile. So this is uh, when, the, when the public enters the resource library. They're greeted by a uh, reception counter that's using all recycled materials. And, and actually, the countertop is also recycled glass. General office space uh, with product display and uh, computer workstations that the public can come in and use to research materials. The space is always staffed by a lead accredited professional who can help architects, designers, builders, homeowners come in and just get ideas for what they can do in their own um, particular project. One of the things that's happened over the last five or six years also is that the, the um, zero VOC paint industry has really stepped up. And now we can get a lot of pigmentation in zero VOC paints. So we kind of expressed pigment in the space too because five years ago you saw a lot of white walls. Now, now we can use color. We have an uh, exhibit wall that changes pretty regularly as new products come out. The uh, center changes this exhibit and uh, shows people what they can do with different products. So that's the end of this uh, show. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Tom. So now we'll open it up to questions from the audience. Does anyone have any questions for Tom or Myron on either of their projects? Sure, in the back. The question, oh, the question was for Tom, and what point did his project not receive? Um, in, in the, in the uh, design stage, the point that we knew we couldn't get was actually a, uh, a redundant point. So it had, um, it had something to do with the mechanical system design, where you sort of either got a point for doing one thing or a different point for doing another, and you couldn't get both, which actually I think 
I guess that tells me, and I'm not the mechanical engineer for the project, but I think that tells you that it's probably impossible to get 57 because two of them are either or. But um, during, the, uh, during the construction, the only point we missed, and, and this was sort of a, an interesting lesson, and you talked about creativity and how you always have to be creative thinking about these projects. We specified all these materials that had zero VOCs and built everything with zero VOC products. And the furniture industry um, provided furniture that had already been outgassed in their factory, brought to the site, clean and, and, and pure. But we were testing the air the day that the furniture was being installed, and we're getting some readings for some VOCs, some light. It was very light. It was hardly anything. But it turned out to be the plastic wrap around the furniture. So... <laughs> You know, we, we stopped bringing the furniture up wrapped. We unwrapped it at the loading dock and brought it up that way. And from that point on, the air quality was perfect. But technically, at one point, the testing didn't prove out. So we, we didn't feel right going after that point because of that. Next question. Hi, thank you for the uh, thanks very much for the presentation. Uh, it was very impressive. Um, one question I have is if you can share this information, what your uh, b total all-in build-out cost was per square foot um, and uh, you know, whether you can think you can reliably do that uh, to be comparable to a, your average build-out. That's for Myron? That was, <laughs> that was for you. Um, you know, it, this, is, uh, this is not the best project to talk about costs with. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we are very cost conscious as designers and, and we usually save clients money and come in under budget there's, there's the sales pitch um, here we had you know, for people who manage projects you know that you're always managing the cost the schedule and the quality all at the same time and usually if, if one of them has to be or if two of them have to be at the top then one of them suffers in this case, everything had to be top. We had to reach LEED certification. The quality had to be perfect. It had to be done in an incredibly short amount of time. And guess what? The budget was zero. Um, U.S. Green Building Council did donate some money to do this project, but not nearly enough to do the whole thing. And by the time we found out that we were the ones selected for this, the city didn't have a budget in place for it either. So... An interesting thing that we did, and this added to the schedule a little bit, but once we specified all the materials and showed what our intentions were, the city actually opened up a bidding process looking for donations. And a lot of the materials you saw here were actually donated by um, the manufacturers, you know, relatively small quantities. So it wasn't that big of a hurdle to get through from their standpoint, but um, um, I'm not sure what the project would have cost if we actually paid for everything and if we paid for it in the timing that we had. So it's not a good answer, but... Um, so the cost was zero. Cost was zero, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Under budget. Right. Okay, thanks to both of you. It was really informative. My question's for Tom. Um, it's credit-specific. So you mentioned that you guys got the point for increased ventilation. I think you said 30%. And I find in the projects that I'm doing, people are concerned that it'll affect the overall energy efficiency and energy star rating. Yes. Can you just speak to that? Well, you're absolutely right. And, and what's interesting thing about, about that question is that Chicago has always had um, a great building code from the standpoint of building quality space. So we've actually always had uh, 
a high ventilation requirement on our space. Again, I'm not a, a mechanical engineer, so if there's one in the audience, we could probably get more detail on this. But Chicago's always required that you replace your um, air with out, fresh outdoor air on a regular basis. Our system has incredible filtration systems in it, so you could bring all this outdoor air in. And I believe that it's also got controls on it so that you're not constantly changing the air over. Um, OWPMP were the um, HVAC engineers for the project, and um, I feel like I should probably ask them that question too because I don't know the specific way that they accomplished it. But you have you know, the, the capacity for, for natural air constantly in the space. Just to kind of jump on top of that, um, with a lot of lead projects, that is how they will get both get the enhanced ventilation and also the energy savings by enhancing their energy equipment, adding the controls so that they're not overventilating when not necessary. So you're also getting those energy savings and the increased ventilation. Hi. Um, now, typically with any sort of sustainable project, the upfront costs tend to be a lot higher, um, or at least that's what I've heard so far. Um, is the government providing any immediate incentives at the start of a project, either tax-wise or financing, to make these uh, projects more possible? I don't know if you ran into that. No, we, we did get a small grant from the state of Illinois, Department of Energy, uh, that helped contribute to our cost for that, but uh, I'm not aware of any uh, tax breaks necessarily. And, and we didn't either, but um, one thing that I could tell you is that I, I was doing some research on costs a few weeks ago, and I think it was the U.S. Green Building Council that states that um, looking over the history so far of LEED certified buildings, that overall a platinum-level LEED certified building was costing about 6% more than one that would just be code compliant. So I think that's a remarkable accomplishment because a, a platinum level is not an easy thing to do. Um, as you get to the silver level and the basic level for certification, th they're basically indicating that there is no additional cost. And I've, I've been working on sustainable projects since 2001. So seven years now. And it was hard to buy rapidly renewable, recyclable products because there wasn't competition in the marketplace. There was somebody who stuck their neck out and said, I'm going to do the right thing and find a way to bring bamboo for, for all you to use. But there was nobody competing with them. So it's really changed in the last seven years. And, and we love going out to bid now because you're, it's, a, it's a real marketplace. It's getting better all the time. Okay, I have one last question for you guys. As the largest LEED EV building and a building that earned the highest level of certification under the LEED rating systems, um, briefly, what advice would you give to projects, to people who are looking to uh, pursue LEED on their projects coming up based on your experiences? I would love to do a bigger project. <laughs> I'd like to do a smaller one. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it, it's interesting because we, we've been talking about green design with our clients for the last five or six years now. And in the last two years, it seems like everybody wants to know about it. 
It's, it's not something where I feel like I'm twisting people's arms anymore. Not, everybody wants this now. And um, I, I think the lesson that I've learned, and it just, it just, all of a sudden I realized that people cared. Because for a while there, you feel like you're way out on the plank, kind of leading this movement that nobody even understands yet. And then all of a sudden everybody understands it, and the marketplace responds, and all the manufacturers are providing products that work now. Um, I think the, the, I forgot exactly what you asked, but I think the new, the new news is it needs to be part of every conversation. Every project has to have this conversation. And you know, for a while there, we felt like we were sneaking it in to our clients' projects. They didn't know that we were doing recycled materials until we told them later on. But um, now it should be just part of every design process. It should be schematic design, design development, sustainable design. It's, it's all part of the, the process from early on until the end. And we have, most of our projects are not LEED certified because the clients didn't feel the need to get LEED certified. They want to do the right thing. They want to know that they've, they've done all these things. And we use the point system to track our progress. But a lot of them just say that's enough. We'd rather spend the extra money putting that right back into our building instead of necessarily getting certified. So it just seems like there's a, a, an awareness and the, the design process needs to embrace that. And, and I think we're all doing it now. And uh, I would say, and I think this holds true not only for an existing building, but a, a new building too. But uh, for any project I've ever been involved with that was successful, it was really the people who were involved with it. And that's no different with the certification process. So you want to get the strongest team you can, but not just in strength of experience and stuff, in strength of uh, motivation and passion behind the project. And, uh, you know, for us at the Mart, there was probably a team of five or six people that lived and breathed it for, you know, the two years we were involved. But um, we had to really engage uh, the entire operation staff there and really try to, try to create a, uh, a team effort, which became a great motivating tool for the organization. And I think if you can try to establish that type of attitude amongst the team, whatever project it might be, you're going to have a, really a path for success. Okay. And Rick. Tom, Tom uh, your last answer seemed to indicate that there's a premium or additional cost associated with actually getting the certification paperwork done. Is that, uh, is that fair, and how much is that? More? Yes. Well, um, the certification process does require, as Myron said, there's a lot of paperwork. And um, you not only design according to these standards, but you have to prove to the U.S. Green Building Council that you actually did it. So... I don't think there's that much extra time in doing it right, but documenting everything, submitting it, answering their questions when they come back, maybe editing things, and, you know, there's a little bit of salesmanship that goes with it, but it's, um, there, there's extra fees that go with that, and it, it really varies depending on the size of the project and the level of certification you're going after. You know, f basic fundamental lead certification I find in, in Chicago is not that hard to achieve because we have stringent codes already and, and we have a interest in, in everybody's eyes to do this. So it's not really that hard to get basic leads certified, but reaching the upper levels takes a lot more effort. Hi. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, lead certification and green 
certification, if you will, has taken off, obviously, in office properties. There's over a billion square feet of industrial properties just in Chicago, and obviously billions of square feet around the country. Have you been involved in any industrial projects? And I think part of the, the issue with the lead technology or certification for industrial buildings, it, a lot of it just isn't applicable. I right. think that's sort of the developer's argument. Yeah. What are you seeing in, in that space? Um, there hasn't been a lot of work in that area, but one of the things that I think has just happened a few weeks ago, maybe a month now, um, Walmart has decided that from now on every store they build will have natural lighting. So they're placing skylights every 25 or 30 feet on center, and they're using daylight control monitoring to adjust their use of electricity in those big open, you know, white box selling spaces. And I think the same thing applies in an industrial situation. If it's not a warehouse and you actually do need lighting for manufacturing, that sounds like an answer that could work. I haven't personally done one yet, but it seems like an obvious way to save electricity. It's a little harder to argue that for for a warehouse, you know, where, where lights are off most of the time anyway. Hi, Tom. Uh, just a quick question. You mentioned that your project got 55 out of a possible 57 points, which is tremendous. Yeah. And if platinum, if the threshold to get platinum is 42, right? So, so it's 42 through 57? Yes. I'm just curious, what is the incentive to keep going further up in that threshold? You know, I mean, is there, is there a reason, aside from, of course, just wanting to make the project the very best that it could be, is there a reason why you would want to continue with the time and the energy and the cost associated with getting those extra uh, credits or just because you wanted to make sure you could go as high up as you could? Well, in our experience, our clients haven't necessarily been point-driven. That's not necessarily what they're all about. I mean, any business that's trying to save energy is really looking at cost justification. So... We, we need to prove to ourselves that there's a return on investment for any one of these initiatives. And I think that what, I, what I'm finding is that the costs are driving the decisions more than the lead points. You know, in this case, our project had to be lead platinum because that was mandated. Um, most clients aren't necessarily shooting for a certain level. They do a good project, and then we find out what level they've reached. So... I haven't found it to be sort of a point-chasing experience. I, I enjoyed both of your presentations today. One of the questions that I have, and it applies actually to both of you, and in the, in the Mart building, uh, you have a lot of retail. I have about 600 retail locations that I have responsibility for, and so I'd like to hear comments from maybe both of you that uh, how this might apply in the retail uh, environment. Um. I'd say it's um, not as developed yet, and um, the Vorneo has a large retail division itself, and they're working on those type of initiatives. And it's just the way a lot of those lease, a retail lease might, might work in terms of a large mall or something like that, it's a little bit more complicated to do it. But I'd say the, 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 so much of the certification process or sustainable programs deal with energy that the evolution of LED Lighting is going to be tremendous, and uh, Tom had evidence of that. We've been working with the manufacturer also, and, and uh, I think that the evolution of that will really 
help drive down um, energy consumption, which will go a long way. Now, whether or not there'll be a certification capabilities for that may be, you know, yet to be proven because that just gives you por- por- part of the par- uh, points that you need. Yeah. Um, we have actually not done a lead certified retail space yet, so I can't speak from specific experience, but a, a big issue with retail is the heat of the lighting and the air conditioning necessary for cooling that space. Um, so innovative mechanical systems that go into the base building seem like the right first step. The tenant isn't going to invest into a state-of-the-art mechanical system for you. If you're the, if you're the landlord, you, know, you pretty much have to set that up from the start. We're, we're just starting work on a commercial development in the south suburbs now that wants to be green. And we're basically looking at anything that can keep your, your operating expenses down as being a long-term benefit. But it's really a matter of looking at the ROI again. Um, and it gets into everything from snow removal practices to lighting and signage. Um, but if, if a tenant comes in and sees that your operating expenses are lower than your competition, I think you're going to get the lease and if you're in the right location. And um, you know, I, I think a lot of it is going to require the landlord to make the initial step, and, and then the tenant can pick LED light fixtures to help out. And they could pick recycled materials. Um, I, I see that as a, a logical thing, too. Well, at this time, we'd like to thank Tom and Myron, and um, I also thank Cornette for allowing me to speak. And I'll pass it over to Rick. Thanks, Josh. Just a couple things real quickly. Uh, we handed out the... The uh, evaluation forms, please fill those out. We appreciate that feedback. We do use that. Um, also, the reason we were running around uh, Chris here with the microphone is because this gentleman up here is helping us get quality recordings, and these are all podcasts and available on our website. So if you'd like a uh, recording and a copy of the presentations, go to the website. Uh, there are a lot of you that are hitting that website every month, so uh, I know it's getting well used. Thank you for that. Also, since we're all energized on green and sustainability, want to do another plug for our our CRC project, our Community Reinvestment Program. And every year we take on a project where we're giving back to the community. This time it is green-oriented, sustainability. And we are partnering with the U.S. Green Building Council and other members in our New Horizons Garden in Garfield Park. And if you haven't had a chance to participate in one of our work sessions, there'll be a number coming up. Please watch the website for that. In the back of the room, Sharon, stand up and wave your hand. No, stand up and wave your hand. Is John Wickman here? Stand up and wave your hand. These two are uh, spearheading the event. If you're uh, interested in joining one of the next workdays, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Rich Wagner and his team from AT&T were just out there with uh, some 20-some people doing a team-building exercise and working alongside the U.S. Green Building Council and on the Garden Project. So think of it as an opportunity along those lines as well. Thank you all for coming. I think that covers it. Have a great afternoon.